Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I hope that wherever you are listening from, you experience a sense of unity with the church around the world. Today, we start a new sermon series in the letter to the Hebrews entitled Anchored. We want to take seriously the warning of the author not to drift away from Jesus. And I really believe that this is as important as it has ever been as we are out of our usual rhythms and practices of faith. Hebrews 2 verse 1. We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Today we start a series in the letter to the Hebrews in which the author, we don't really know who it is, some think it might be Paul, some think it might be Barnabas, some have other ideas, it doesn't really matter, but in which the author presents a very stark warning to his readers. The first of these warnings is actually in the reading that we just heard from Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. It says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And one of the primary questions that scholars ask about the book of Hebrews is, what was it that the listeners and hearers were drifting towards? Uh, and the most common answer is that the author is writing to a group of Jewish Christians, thus the title of the book, to the Hebrews, who are drifting back towards Judaism. Uh, and in terms of the, the evidence of this, you only need to kind of flick through uh, and look at the headings in the rest of the epistle to get an idea about why they say that. There's a constant interest in the book about how Jesus is greater than various aspects of Jewish faith and religion. He's greater than Moses. The covenant that he institutes is greater than the first covenant. His priesthood is greater than any other priesthood. Uh, the temple that he entered is greater than the temple on earth and on and on and on it goes. And all of this is kind of marshaled together to suggest that we have a group of Jewish Christians who are beginning to drift back towards Judaism. But I actually believe that the author is less concerned about what they are drifting towards and is more interested in who they are drifting away from. If I can put it this way, it doesn't really matter what kind of rocks you're drifting towards. The point is there's danger ahead. The important part is that you are drifting so I think that the interest in Judaism, the, the interest in Moses and the law and Melchizedek and the temple and the priesthood and the sacrifices and the covenant and all of those sorts of things is not so much to point out the deficiencies of Judaism as a religious system, as if the author is saying, listen, you know, why would you go back to Judaism? Look at how deficient it is compared to Jesus. I don't think that's what he's doing. I actually believe that what the author is trying to do is to demonstrate the great of Jesus 
in his most natural context. Imagine for a moment that you had to explain the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but the only frame of reference you were allowed to use was the Marvel Universe, the heroes in the Marvel Universe, the Hulk and Captain America and Iron Man. And so you'd be left to try to, try to piece together a little bit of, a, of an explanation of who Jesus is using imprecise language, right? You'd say, well, Jesus is he's more powerful than the Hulk, but without the kind of weird loss of control. He's, he's more innovative than Tony Stark, but without the arrogance. Uh, he has more integrity than Captain America, and on and on it would go. But the, the fit wouldn't be quite precise. Jesus makes the most sense in the Old Testament context, Right? Uh, It's it's the Old Testament that Jesus said that he had come to fulfill. It was the prophetic writings of the Old Testament that Jesus points, is is, is fulfilling. Uh, It's the Old Testament that the earliest followers of Jesus point back to. So the author is not pointing out the deficiencies of Judaism as if to to warn the, the readers away from returning to something that's not quite as good. Instead, the author is simply pointing to how great Jesus is. Because ultimately his interest is not in what they are drifting towards, but who they are drifting from. Because ultimately this is about relationship. They are drifting away from Jesus. And the author has a very particular type of relationship in mind uh, that he is reflecting on throughout the book of Hebrews. The the social fabric of Greco-Roman society was woven with honor and shame and with patronage. Honor and shame cultures, they still exist today, are cultures in which the things that you do or fail to do win you honor or shame. And not just you, but they might win honor or shame for your family or for the group that you're a part of. And so it's very, very important that you act in ways that are honorable rather than shameful. Overlay that with this second piece of social fabric in the Greco-Roman world, which is about patronage. You're perhaps familiar with the idea of a patron and benefactors. Well, in the ancient world, patrons were wealthy, influential, well-connected people. And they were under social obligation. In other words, it was shameful for them not to do this. They were under a social obligation to be patrons to those lower down the pecking ladder, uh, to be generous towards them, to connect them to other people that they might know, uh, to set them up where they could, to help them out in any number of ways. And the patrons were under particular social obligation, but so were benefactors. If you were my patron, if you had uh, connected me with someone that you knew who got me a job in the city, and then you had spoken to a friend who had a flat and I was able to rent a flat in the city close to work, then I was under social obligation to honor you wherever and however I could. Not only to my friends and my acquaintances, but also to your face, so to speak. That I was to be honorable towards you. And it's this very particular type of relationship that the author is focused on throughout the book of Hebrews. As far as the author of Hebrews is concerned, Jesus is the greatest patron you are ever going to come across. 
Just have a listen to chapter one, verse one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Let me keep going. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And again, the interest is not in belittling the prophets, right? Uh, it's not as if the author's saying, so why would you read the prophets anymore? No, you speak, still read the prophets. They still contain the word of God for us. But now it's the son who's spoken to us. And listen to, this, to the, the description of Jesus. He's the son whom God appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. And we'll come back to the angels thing in just a moment. But did you hear the description of Jesus as the patron? I mean, if you wanted someone who had influence and power and really good connections, if you wanted someone who would be infinitely kind, infinitely generous, who would be able to set you up, who would be able to ensure that you were blessed, could you go past Jesus? And the answer that the author suggests is like, absolutely not. And yet... The people that he's writing to, and this is the word of the Lord, the people that he's writing to are through negligence by not paying enough attention are drifting away from Jesus. And that's not just folly. That's just not kind of you know, bad business sense in the sense of a, a patron who, who might be able to provide you with things. Why would you ignore that relationship? This is beyond folly. This is shameful behavior. Because Jesus has given to them and to us everything. He is the source of blessing and security and life and forgiveness and peace and on and on it goes. And so it's this uh, obvious greatness of Jesus that the author is concerned about in relationship to the angels, right? He is the patron rather than anything else. So it's not as if, the, um, it's not as if the, the readers or the first listeners were, I don't know, thinking that angels were greater than Jesus, that they were, um, you know, worthy of worship in a way that Jesus wasn't. Now, that's not quite what's going on here. If you want to make some sense of the angelic references, actually just have a quick look in chapter 2, verse 2. It says, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just, just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The reference here appears to be to the Jewish belief that the law that Moses received was mediated by angels. If you have a look in Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 or Acts chapter 7 verses 38 and 39, you will see references by Paul and Stephen to this belief. And, and the idea then that the author is wanting to draw our attention to is this, that while angels are mighty, overwhelming, powerful, supernatural beings who mediated the law, and remember that the law is not just a list of do's and don'ts. The law was the representation of the relationship with God. It was the Old Testament 
equivalent of the patron-benefactor relationship. Uh, In the Old Testament, the phrase is used, I will be your God and you will be my people. Where the Lord says, I will do all the things that gods do. I will bless you and I will provide for you and I will protect you and I will forgive you and all of those things I will do and you will be my people. You will live in the world in, in, the, in, in a relationship that honors me. It was the, the, the Old Testament equivalent of what the author is talking about in Jesus. And yet for all that the angels have done, they are only angels. The whole point of the The list of references that the author then goes through in the rest of chapter one is to point out the greatness of Jesus. So for instance, in verse five, he says, for which of the angels, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. And this is not just the idea that Jesus is family and therefore is is greater than angels. This is royal language. All the way through this section, you find reference to how Jesus is the the son of the king. He sits at the right hand of the majesty. As we looked last week, he is the one able to enact the edicts and plans of God in the world. This is the one that they are drifting away from. And as far as the author is concerned, it's not as if, and this is what one commentator suggests, It's not as if the people that he's writing to were thinking wrong things about Jesus. It's not as if their doctrine wasn't right. It's not as if their Christology, as they describe it, was wrong. The the thing is, they are not thinking about Jesus enough. They are slowly but surely allowing themselves to drift away from the most significant patron that they are ever going to meet. This is the primary message of the epistle to the Hebrews, this letter or sermon to this group of believers. They are not anchored, the title for this series for us. They're not anchored to Jesus and are beginning to drift away. And this message is as true for us as it was for the original hearers. It is as easy now for us to drift away from Jesus as it was then. And there are all sorts of reasons why we might drift away from Jesus. But the ultimate um, argument, the ultimate warning is that that goes beyond folly to shameful. How could you? How could you? How could I? How could we allow ourselves to drift away from Jesus? Jesus is still the great patron for us. He is still the source of life, forgiveness, peace, security, all that we need. And so, as the author says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. But how do we, how do we pay the most careful attention? I was thinking a bit about what it looks like when I pay very careful attention when I really want to give my attention to something because of its importance for myself or for those around me. And there are a few things that I tend to do when I am paying the most careful attention. I minimize distractions, right? I'll I'll kind of make sure that I've got plenty of time and space so I'm not distracted and I'm not rushed at what I'm about to do. 
I will listen very carefully to instructions. I will read and reread instructions. I'll ask clarifying questions. I'll seek advice if it's really important to make sure that I don't do the wrong thing. I have a heightened awareness to things that could potentially go wrong. I have a heightened awareness to those potential pitfalls and traps that I need to be aware of. And I'm sure that when you pay the most careful attention in your work or in your study or whatever it is that you pay attention to, that you do the same things. Well, how do we pay the most careful attention then to Jesus? This is one of the questions that we want to be exploring as a community of faith over the course of this series. What does it look like for us to not drift away from Jesus, but to make sure that we stay tightly connected? And perhaps this is as important as it's always been as we are now in these COVID-19 times, right? Later in the book of Hebrews, it encourages us not to stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing And while we are meeting together online, we're not meeting together face to face. And just the the different rhythm that that introduces for us introduces and heightens for us the risk that one of those patterns might drop away and that we might find ourselves drifting just a little bit more easily. So here's a specific application for you this week. Something I'd like you to try to do. I'd like you to encourage you to read the Bible together with someone. We introduced this last year. Uh, we asked and encouraged you to read the Bible with other people, uh, maybe your partner or with your children or uh, with a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, whatever it might be, uh, and to ask four questions. And I'd like to remind you of those questions and then modify the third one. So the four questions that we asked you to reflect on were what stood out to you, What questions do you have? And remember, we don't want you to spend too much time on those. It's not a matter of answering those questions, just a matter of raising them. The third question, and I want to modify this one. So the third question was, what what was Jesus inviting you to do? And the fourth question was, and who can I tell? And I'd like to suggest that we modify, for this period of time, that third question. So instead of asking where the invitation is, I'd like you to ask, What do I need to pay more careful attention to in this passage? I'd encourage you to read through the Gospels. Pick a Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and start reading it through in small little sections and ask yourself those four questions. What stands out? What questions do you have? Who can I tell? And kind of the the critical question for us now, what do I need to pay more careful attention to? either in terms of what I believe, either in terms of or in what you do in your day-to-day life. But let's be asking ourselves the question, where do we need to pay more careful attention? And just heightening our awareness, I think might be a really, really good first step for us as the people of God. We still need to be, and I hope want to be, anchored to Jesus. We want to be tightly connected to him. We don't want to drift away and we don't want to be negligent in that most critical duty. I think this word of the Lord is a a significant one for us, for us at this time in this place, as we seek to stay tight to Jesus and to one another. So to that end, would you allow me to pray for you and for me as we move forward in this week? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed the great patron that in you we have access to all that we need, forgiveness, peace, provision, security, eternal life. 
We thank you that you have introduced us again into relationship with God, the ultimate source of life. And we pray for ourselves as individuals and for those that we know that we would not drift away from you. We pray that as a community of faith, we might be ever more tightly anchored to who you are. And we ask this in your name. Amen. What do you need to pay more careful attention to as a follower of Jesus? And is there someone you can begin to read the Gospels with and ask that very question? Let's stay anchored to Jesus, even as the rest of our lives feel so unmoored. You can join us in our worship together at gbconline.org.au at our regular service times of 8.30, 10.30 and 6 Australian Eastern Standard Time. We'd love for you to join us if you're part of our community of faith here or if your own church is unable to move online. Stay as long as you need. Is there someone that you know who really needs to hear this message? Why not share it with them and see what God does through that? And remember, you can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at guymeabaptist.org.au. God bless.